good day and God bless all of you, wherever you are and however you're listening in this day. Thank you for taking your time to join us for the next hour of Running on Empty, a show dedicated to examining the declining influence of Christian values on American society and to seeking the wisdom of God as we search for solutions to the many problems that plague our culture as a result. We're coming to you today from St. Charles, Missouri, which we affectionately refer to as Rome of the West. And we look forward to joining you, for you to joining us on today's program. I'm your host, Deacon Patrick O'Toole, and you know, last month's show, we focused our discussion on the signs of the times and what they might mean for our society and our world as we spent time remembering Cardinal Francis George of Chicago. This month, as we celebrate Trinity Sunday, I'd like to spend our time talking about what we are called to do while we await the chastisement that seems headed our way. But more importantly, what are we to do while we await the return of our Lord? You know, as Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, he commands the apostles to go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, if it is about anything, is about mission. When each of us was baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we became disciples. Or maybe better stated by St. Paul in this weekend's second reading, we became sons and daughters of God, and thus accepted the responsibility of carrying on the work of the Father, the work which Jesus began and left to us. But before we get into what we are called to do while we await Christ's return, I would like to comment on some data that came out this month. According to a new Pew Research Center poll, the number of Christians in America has sharply declined in the last eight years, from 78.4% in 2007 to 70.6% today. That's an 8% drop in people who identify themselves as Christians in just seven years. And the driving force behind that drop was due to the many millennials no longer identifying themselves as Christians. During this last seven-year period, those who describe themselves as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular, nuns as they're referred to, went from 16% to nearly 23%. So clearly that explains this 8% drop in those calling themselves Christians. I would say this is an alarming trend for our nation that was built on, the con- on a concept of God and, will c- and this will continue to have devastating effects on our society up to and including the coming chastisement. The easy explanation for this drop is to blame the world. If you're growing up as a millennial, how are you going to possibly say that you're religious? Why would you call yourself a Christian? If you define yourself as a Christian, you're going to be redefined by society as narrow-minded, hateful, and judgmental. Believing marriage is between a man and a woman is used to say that you hate gays. Saying there should be prayer in our schools 
is you wanting to force non-believers to conform to your beliefs. Teaching intelligent design or creationism causes you to be branded as being against science. Virginity is far from being considered virtuous. It is mocked as an inhibited holdover from Puritan times. Being pro-life means you are waging war on women. So growing up today as a millennial, why would you intentionally put yourself in a crowd that society has deemed anti-gay, anti-women, anti-science? It's not hard to understand why we have less and less millennials identifying themselves as Christians. But I think the real explanation for this precipitous drop in those who identify themselves as Christians is what we talked about last month. One of the signs that God's chastisement is nearing is a mass apostasy or abandonment of the faith. Widespread apostasy throughout the ages is almost always closely related to false teaching that leads people astray, to the lowering of societal norms that cause people to ignore the teachings of the church in pursuit of their own selfish desires, and persecution, which causes people to abandon the faith in fear of reprisal. Quite naturally, when intense tribulation comes upon the church, when lies are being told, and society is living as if there is no God, widespread apostasy among the faithful will soon follow. So this falling away from the faith in our day should be expected. It shouldn't surprise us. It is just more proof that judgment is nearing. Whether it is just another in the many examples of God cleansing and restoring his creation, or it is the final judgment to be accompanied with Christ's return at the end of the world, we do not and cannot know. But that is not the important question. The important question is what are we to do in the meantime as we live our Trinitarian call to discipleship? Remember, God's chastisement is never about death and destruction. It is about life and love. Jesus provided us seven lessons in the scripture to teach us what we are to do while we await whatever form of judgment nears. In each of the seven lessons, Jesus will describe one type of person who will be ready when judgment comes and another type of person who will not. And he provides us instruction about our time of waiting. The first two lessons he gives us tells us what we are to do. The last five tell us how we are to do it. So let's take a look at those seven lessons today. The first lesson centers on Noah and the flood. For as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. God commanded Noah to build an ark. But the rest of the world was eating and drinking, 
marrying and giving in marriage. The majority of the world, in other words, was oblivious to the coming judgment. People were living their everyday lives right up until the moment that judgment arrived. The first lesson is that God has placed a task before us while we wait. Ensure the physical well-being of your family. If you think about the story of Noah, he prepared his family to survive a natural disaster. And that is what God's advice is in this first lesson. Prepare to survive the judgment that is coming. If it is the final judgment, those preparations will be unnecessary. If it is not, you will be prepared to play a role in the restoration that follows. Now, this is not about being a doomsday prepper. This is just about common sense preparation that would allow your family to survive a natural disaster and put you in a position where you might be able to help others. When Christ calls us to care for the physical well-being of others, as we will see in the rest of his examples, he will be talking about helping to meet their daily needs, showing care and concern for their physical well-being of those less fortunate than we. The second lesson Jesus wishes to teach us centers on two examples of people at work with one taken and one left. Two men will be out in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on which day your Lord will come. Now, many have widely and famously abused these two passages in the prediction of the rapture. But let's be clear. The passage says one will be left, not one will be left behind. What Christ is discussing, his return and final judgment, leaves nothing to be left behind for. After the final judgment, there will be no seven-year tribulation or thousand-year reign as those who believe in the rapture claim. The point of this passage is that right up until the end, believers will be interspersed among non-believers. When Christ returns, we will be separated, believers from non-believers. St. Ambrose says judgment will separate even father from son, wife from husband, brother from brother. So the second lesson is that we are not just to see to the physical well-being of our family and those around us, but to their spiritual well-being as well. God has placed us in the midst of non-believers, many in our own families, and we are called to awaken those around us to the reality of God's judgment before it is too late. This is about preparing our family spiritually. I think the best way to express what this lesson is about to use the words attributed to St. Francis, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. This is what Christ is calling us to in the second lesson, 
to always and everywhere by our word, but even more importantly by our example, to witness to the truth of God's saving love and to the need for all of us to turn to him in repentance while there is still time. In the next five lessons, Christ is going to warn us of two things that prevent us from faithfully carrying out these two tasks and then provide us three specific ways in which we are called to carry out this mission. In the third lesson, Christ talks about his coming like a thief in the night. Be sure of this. If the master of the house had known the hour of night when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into. So, too, you also must be prepared. For at an hour you do not expect, the Son of Man will come. God knows human nature. He knows we tend to procrastinate. He has put us here so that we might gain heavenly glory, and he has tasked us with leading others to salvation as well, most especially those souls he has entrusted to our care. If we knew that the end was far off, many of us would grow slack and wait, counting on the fact that we had plenty of time to get serious about this business of salvation. If we knew the end was near, many of us would neglect the needs of those around us in an effort to prepare our own souls or because we took the attitude that time is up, there's nothing more that we can do. Uncertainty about when the world will end, like uncertainty about when a thief might come, is good for us. It helps us to work diligently to spread the good news right up until the final moment. It helps us to stay watchful and vigilant each and every day. It drives us to gain as much grace as we can today, for we may not have the chance to gain grace tomorrow. The third lesson is that God wants us to stop procrastinating in our spiritual life. He wants us to take action. He wants us to lay down some of our idle pursuits and make more time in our lives to prepare ourselves and those around us for the judgment that is coming. If you were like the average American and you did an inventory of how you spend your free time, here is what you would discover. 50% is spent access accessing the signal in some form, the TV, the internet, the radio, the iPhone. 15% is spent socializing with family and friends. 12% shopping, 9% reading, 7% on hobbies, 5% on sports and exercise, and 2% volunteering or in religious activities. And if your socializing relies heavily on Facebook and Twitter, and your shopping is done more and more online, and your reading involves a Kindle, it is not a stretch to say the signal gets over 75% of your time and God gets two. The truth is, we have limited resources, most especially a limited amount of time. I think it is incumbent on us to reflect on just how much of our time is consumed by distractions and activities and how much of it is devoted to our relationship with God. 
the steady stream of multimedia, and the full schedule of activities which, with which we busy ourselves can, if we are not vigilant, deaden our souls to the spiritual sensibilities necessary to grow in our journey of faith. In the midst of this often uncontrolled consumption of media, in this running from activity to activity to activity, where do we find the time required to sustain a healthy prayer life? In this daily onslaught of the message of happiness through power, possessions, and pleasure, where do we encounter the voice of truth? In this constant stream of noise, how are we able to hear the still, small voice of God? I'm not suggesting we need to toss out our electronic devices or cancel all of our activities, but rather we need to embrace a more balanced approach in the scheduling of our time and the use we make of these powerful tools of technology. The question we must ask ourselves is, are we willing to sacrifice some of our hobbies, interests, and activities in order to enter into a deeper relationship with the Lord? I need to take a quick break right here before we continue with our list to let you know that you're listening to St. Joseph Radio Live, that we're coming to you from St. Charles, Missouri, and I'd like you to encourage you to call in and join our discussion today about the judgment that is nearing and what we are to do as we prepare for it. If you'd like to be a part of today's show, you can call in at 855-447-6000. Again, if you'd like to join us on today's show, that number is 855-447-6000. A quick uh, programming note. On the Feast of the Immaculate uh, Heart of Mary, all women are invited to a Morning with Mary, Mother of Priests, presented by, presented by Father Mark Krismer. That is Saturday, June 13th at St. Elizabeth of Hungary Parish in Crestwood, Missouri. The cost is $15, and that includes your lunch. And if you'd like more information on a Morning with Mary, Mother of Priests, call 314 275 0890. Again, if you'd like uh, more information about this uh, morning with Mary, call 314-275-0890. All right, so back to the show. We're into the fourth lesson that God has for us as we await his coming or as we await the judgment or chastisement that may be nearing. In the fourth lesson, Jesus tells us about the wise and faithful versus the lazy and wicked servants. Who then is the faithful and prudent servant whom the master has put in charge of his household to distribute to them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master on his arrival finds doing so. Amen, I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his property. But if that wicked servant says to him, Self, my master is long delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards. The servant's master will come on an unexpected day and at an unknown hour and will punish him severely and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Jesus equates wickedness to being a hypocrite who says one thing in public while doing another in private 
or someone who is lazy about his spiritual obligations while being diligent in seeking after pleasure. The fourth lesson is to examine carefully the ways in which we might be a hypocrite. Do as I say, not as I do. With regard to the example we set for those that God has placed in our care, our family most especially, I'm thinking of simple things here like texting and driving, drinking and driving, or speeding and running red lights. What example are we setting for those that God has entrusted to our care? But it goes even deeper than that. Does it ever concern anybody but me when we hear things like the Pope goes to confession once a week? In a typical year, I go to confession three or four times. So the Pope goes to confession 52 times a year, and Patrick goes four. Is this because the Pope is so much more sinful than me? Or is it because the Pope holds himself to a much higher standard than I do? The Pope uses God's standard. The point being, if I want to avoid being a hypocrite, I need to raise the bar on what I consider sin. But secondly, I must repent of my sin, not just say I'm sorry, but amend my life. To repent is an action. It is not a thought or a word. I must recognize my sinful choice and then choose a different action as a sign of my repentance. The book of Revelation tells us that we must distance ourselves from the sins of the culture or we will share in its judgment. We are all sharing in the consequence of our cultural choices. The question is, are we also going to share in the judgment? If we have made disordered choices in our use of God's blessings, if we have an unearth unhealthy attachment to money and the things that it can buy, if we have made Sunday a day much like all other days and allowed the signal to dominate our time and our consciousness, then we must acknowledge that we have participated in and have a share of the responsibility for our Christian society losing its way. Repent of those mistakes and make a firm resolution to do things differently. Before we get into the final three lessons that Christ has for us in the Scripture, I'd like to go to the phones and take a couple calls. We have Gene calling in from New Jersey. Gene, I'd welcome you to the show and ask what's your question or comment today. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Um, you know what? I can't, I don't even know what program I'm listening to. I turned on EWTN, and I heard you on um, what you spoke about about five minutes ago, and I really, really loved everything you said. And I'm trying to wonder how, if I go on the EWTN website, is there? Do you have it in writing, or or is, can I? Can I look at the video of it? Or, well, um, uh, today's show, or the, the entire show, if you'd like a copy of the show, um, after the show is over, you can call 855-447-6000. So wait till after the show is over. But if you call 855-447-6000, um, the staff will get you a copy of the show and at no charge except for the postage that uh, it would be required to send it to you. So, Gene, if you, if you enjoy the show and... Uh, you'd like to share it? By all means, uh, give us a call. And what is the name of your show? It's Running on Empty is what I call the show, and it's really okay. meant to just examine uh, the struggles we're in as a culture because we've turned from God, because our spiritual tank is is running out of gas, if you will. 
Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, and you're I welcome. I want to share share what you gave. It was fantastic. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. We also have Louise on the phone. She's calling in from Texas. Louise, I'd welcome you to the show and ask what's your question or comment. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Uh, I, I'm too in, I'm enjoying the program. And, you know, from what's happening right now, I know troubles are coming. And I know we should be getting ready. And as Catholics, we, you know, we're doing, you know, going to Mass, adoration, confession, and and also getting our families more involved in teaching them. But you also, uh, the other thing that you mentioned is the other aspect of just um, being uh, ready for when, you know, maybe, uh, like I'm always, I'm hearing from like economics or and uh, we're going to have trouble with our economic uh, um, business. So how do we get ready? And do you have a book on how to have some um, food on hand? And what are we supposed to have water and stuff like that? Since a lot of us are so used to having the everyday convenience, so God has blessed us so much that we just get up and go to the store and we have it. So if we get to that point, you know, how do we help ourselves? Well, thank you, Jean. Or Louise, thank you for calling. I'm going to have to take a quick break in a minute. But but just to kind of respond to what you've said, you know, you you say troubles are coming, and, and I think we all see that. The storm clouds are gathering, and they're gathering on just about every front in our culture. And I believe the reason is is because we're turning from God, and we have turned from God. And we know what happens when, as a people, we turn from God. Chastisement comes. God cleanses and restores his people. And ultimately, one day, that cleansing and restoration will be the return of Jesus. And what a glorious day that will be. But the challenge for us as Christians is to be ready when the chastisement comes so that we, as Cardinal George said, can be part of the restoration of the culture that the church has always been there to do. Through difficult times, the church has constantly and regularly been there to rebuild the society. And what if you and I are going to be involved in that, then we need to prepare ourselves. And while I don't have a book to recommend, there are many good sources of uh, guidance as to what exactly should we do to uh, prepare ourselves for the difficult times that are coming. So we need to take a short break right now, but when we come back, again, I'd like to hear your questions or comments. 855-447-6000 is that number. This is a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Live. We'll be right back after a word from your local station. Hi, this is Matt Logeman with St. Joseph Radio with a great gift idea. A St. Benedict bracelet, a trendy accessory for men, women, and children that not only looks good on everyone's wrist, but is actually armor for the spiritual battlefield. This unique bracelet is handmade in Europe and contains 10 medals within the braided cord in the adult size and 7 medals in the children's size. On the front of each beautiful medal is St. Benedict holding a cross in his right hand, the object of his devotion. On the back of each medal is a cross. Surrounding the back of the medal and cross are the letters V-R-S-N-M-V-S-M-Q-L-I-V-B, in Latin reference which translates, Be gone, Satan. Never tempt me with your vanities. What you offer me is evil. Drink the poison yourself. And finally located at the top is the word 
Packs, which means peace. All bracelets come packaged with an informational card and the St. Benedict blessing, which your local priest can administer. The St. Benedict bracelet comes in two sizes of adjustable braided cord and a variety of colors. This gift is for everyone you love and care about, including yourself. Available from St. Joseph Radio by calling 855-447-6000. That's 855-447-6000. Please wait till after the program, though. And you can also check the website at www.saintjosephradio.net. And finally, I'll leave you with the prayer you'll find on the back of your St. Benedict bracelet card. God, our Father, you made St. Benedict an outstanding guide to teach men how to live in your service. Grant that by preferring your love to everything else, we may walk in the way of your commandments. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. This is St. Joseph Radio. Welcome back. This is Running on Empty. I'm your host, Deacon Patrick O'Toole. Okay, so we're discussing... God's uh, call to us as disciples, what we're to do as we await either his return, uh, that glorious day, or the potential for chastisement that may be coming and restoration of God's creation. Uh, We're up to the fifth lesson, and it has to do with wise and foolish maidens. And again, we see the good and the bad, the foolish and the wise, are mixed until the end. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones, when taking their lamps, brought no oil with them, but the wise brought flasks of oil with their lamps. Since the bridegroom was long delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight there was a cry, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise ones replied, No, for there may not be enough for us and you. Go instead to the merchants and buy some for yourselves. While they went off to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went into the wedding feast with him. Then the door was locked. Afterwards, the other virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he said in reply, Amen, I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore, stay awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour. In this parable, the oil of the lamps, the fuel for the light, represents the good works that we do, the fuel of our faith. As St. James reminds us, faith without works is dead. Just so, a lamp without oil is not actually a lamp. It gives no light. Words are not enough. Deeds are required. When we hear that the wise maidens would not share their oil with the foolish, we might at first see them as selfish. But the point Christ is trying to make for us is that the reason the foolish maidens cannot borrow oil from the wise is that no one can borrow the good works of another. Judgment will be based on your own good works. The fifth lesson is that while we wait, God is calling us to do good works. Sins of omission, failing to do the good that we ought, are just as deadly as sins of commission, doing the evil we know we should not. Doing the good that we ought changes us for the better. It rids us of pride, but refusal to show mercy stiffens our souls in rebellion. 
we close our souls to love and obedience. Unfortunately, our culture has embraced disobedient pride as a virtue. One of the primary characteristics of our modern age is that we focus on ourselves and what we can and want to do, believing that our own individual happiness is what life is all about. We don't believe that any outside source has the right to guide us, command us, or coerce us, including God. The trap that Satan leads us into is that when we first embrace stubborn arrogance, we feel that we can change our course whenever we so desire. But over time, we find ourselves less and less wanting to change course, and then we discover we are no longer able to change course. Finally, we find ourselves in hell, where arrogance and disobedience are the norm. So Christ has two lessons left for us as he teaches us what we are to do while we await his return or await a potential uh, chastisement, a coming judgment uh, of our world. Um, we'll get back to those final two lessons, but let's go back to the phones for a moment. We've got Mary calling from Pennsylvania. Mary, I'd welcome you to the show and ask you what's your question or comment. Um, I just wanted to state that the, um, well, first of all, I, I love your program. Well, thank it's you. superior, very superior. Um, and I want to thank you very much for it, Deacon. Um, the prophecies of Gorham Bendel, which is an approved apparition of the Blessed Mother, Mm -hmm. um, that is very parallel to what you're referring to now, and there's going to be a worldwide warning before the chastisement. If people want to find out about it, they can go to the, uh, anything. They can Google it and go to the Gorbendal websites. It's spelled G as in George, A-R-A, B as in Bobby, A-N, D as in David, A-L. And they can read about the prophecies there. I don't want to take up your time because... I really love your program, and I want to hear the end of it. Well, thank you for calling in with that information, because you're right. There are so many sources that reinforce this idea that chastisement is coming, not because God is angry, but because God loves us. God wants us to get on the right path. God wants us to spend all of eternity with Him. And so, as a good and loving parent, how could He not chastise us when we get so far astray? So... I, I think the signs are clear that chastisement is coming, that judgment is nearing. And again, whether that be the final judgment with the return of our Lord or just another in the endless list of times that God has chastised his people and restored his creation, uh, it's something really that we should look forward to rather than live in fear or trepidation of. But I appreciate you uh, letting us know, you know, there are so many sources where we can go to, to kind of read about this and to prepare ourselves and, again, to know what are we to do in the meantime. And I know when um, Louise called earlier, there was that sense of, well, financially, how should we prepare and food and how? And, and by all means, we should take prudent steps. But the most prudent of those is, We've got to stop spending all that we make, or in fact, spending more than we make. As a people in this nation, we live beyond our means on a daily basis. God would call us to live within our means. In fact, God would call us to live below our means because that is what prepares us to be able to help others in need. If I'm living debt-free, 
if I'm using my income, the greatest source I have of preparation, if I'm using that rather than to send to GMAC or to uh, Citibank, then that's what prepares me as best I can be prepared for, to take care of my family, but more importantly, to take care of those around me when the restoration begins, when the, when the church gets involved in helping rebuild the society. So, so I would say that's our challenge, is to live below our means and to save uh, for that stormy day that seems to be on the horizon. All right, so let's move to the sixth lesson that Christ has for us. Uh, it centers on the story of the talents. You know, and we all know the story of the talents. Um, the, the master gave talents to his servants, to one he gave five, to another two, to a third one. And after a long time, the master returns and settles accounts. And the one who received five came forward with an additional five. Uh, and he was told, well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you greater responsibility. Come share your master's joy. Similarly with the one who had two and made two more. But finally, the one who had been given one talent came forward and he said, Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went out and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. His master said to him in reply, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I did not plant and gather where I did not scatter. Should you not have put my money in the bank so that I have got it back with interest on my return? Now then, take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will grow rich. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And throw this useless servant into the darkness outside, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. All of us receive gifts from God, and for those gifts we must give an account. In this lesson, we learn that judgment will not be some quick look at our attitudes and beliefs. It will be based on whether we used our gifts for the building up of God's kingdom. In this lesson, we also get a glimpse of the afterlife. When we hear that the two faithful servants don't just get a pat on the back for a job well done, because they were faithful in small matters, they were given greater responsibility. In other words, when we enter eternity, our service to God continues. The Catechism tells us the intercession of the saints is their most exalted service to God's plan. We can and should ask the saints to intercede for us. It is the great responsibility that they are given in heaven. The sixth lesson is that God has given us talents. And while those gifts and talents are provided us so that we might care for ourselves and our families, the bigger responsibility is to use them for the good of others. There will be an accounting at the final judgment. And if we are generous and put our gifts to good use in building the kingdom, we will be rewarded with even greater gifts and responsibility. But if we hoard and cling to our gifts and do not put them at the service of the kingdom, we will lose everything. So we have one final lesson to go. But let's get back to the phones and take a couple calls. We got Anne calling from Florida. Anne, welcome to the show. What's your question Thank or comment? You. Thank you so much. Oh, my Just pleasure. Two quick, 
two things, dear. I'll try to be quick. Um, Sister Forcina, um, Jesus said to her that his heart, I may be paraphrasing, but is bleeding because not uh, not everyone is trusting in his love and his mercy, and that really hurts him. And he said to Forcina, um, those that trust my love and mercy, you know, I will stand between that person, especially the dying, right, um, of, between God's justice, and I will intercede for that person uh, who trusts me. Absolutely. And Absolutely my the truth. My, yes. My second thing is, <clears throat> well, <clears throat> what I do, uh, in by God's grace, um, I go up to people, you know, and I'm not a shy person, <laughs> so I go up to them, whether it's a group of young men or whatever, and I look into their eyes one by one, and I say, God loves you, Jesus loves you, or I might say, you know, God or Jesus, whatever, or the Lord loves you. The response is amazing. Their eyes get warm towards me, and they say, thank you, thank you. And God loves you too, they say, you know. And also, they might say this, and I have received this many times, um, I needed that. I needed that, you know. And to me, I mean, I can't go around saying, are you saved, you know. Right, <laughs> I don't right, right. Always say, That's awful, <laughs> I can't do that. But God loves you to receive it. And hopefully, you know, they may turn to God then, because you can blossom when you know someone loves you deeply. Absolutely. So. Well, number one, thank you for your witness, and thank you for your living your discipleship that God has called you to, to spread the good news, because that is the good news, Anne. God loves yes. us. God desires yes. that we spend all of eternity in his presence. His love for—he yes. loves us so much that he sent yes. his only son that you and I might have salvation. This is an incredible yes. gift. And unfortunately, Jesus says his heart bleeds because so many don't trust in him. I, I can understand that. We've, we've turned from him. Uh, you know, this, this Pew report telling us that less and less people are calling themselves Christians, and even those who call themselves Christians often would have to search their hearts to see, do they really trust Jesus when he tells them things? And so by all means, keep sharing that uh, good news with everybody. You know, uh, the bishops... Uh, frequently uh, put out a, a list of five things that you should know today. And so I've kind of taken that up and start sending an email out to people I know and uh, occasionally with the five things they need to know today. And it's usually something personal about a relationship that we have. But it ends with, and don't forget that God loves you, because that's the message yeah. we want to spread. So thank you. Thank you for your witness. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for calling the show today. All right, so we have Michael calling from Ohio. Michael, I'd welcome you into the show and ask uh, what's your question or comment. Uh, hi, how you doing? I'm wonderful. I your uh, radio show, and I kind of missed you last week, but yeah, it's kind of becoming a concern to me that we are not doing what we need to do to protect our children. Now, uh, I can relate this to the, your last, you know, little sermon there. The, uh, the reason I'm calling is... We should be putting out a, uh, a rosary for Our Lady of Victory to crush this homosexual agenda because we are going to be under the chastisement of God 
for turning our head to this. You know, this is right under our nose, and we're not standing up to it, and we should be as per God's law. And just one rosary to Our Lady of Victory from everybody that's faithful would make a victim, would make a difference. We could crush the head of the serpent. Well, absolutely, Michael. Thank you for your call to the show. I, I would agree with you. The rosary is such a powerful weapon in our battle against Satan and the battle against our times and the, in the desire to change hearts and to change Mary's intercession uh, is so powerful. Uh, the rosary, uh, unfortunately, uh, has gone through some generations where it's lost its luster, if you will. Uh, people, Catholics, uh, that used to pray the rosary all the day, you know, all the time. My grandmother prayed a daily rosary. We always prayed a rosary at funerals in our family, and and I, I slowly have seen that fall away. And you know, I I pray a rosary daily, and and I do just that. You talk about our children, you know. Uh, each of the 20 um, mysteries of the rosary has a different one of my children or my godchildren uh, that I am praying for that individual, that God will come into their hearts, that God will help them overcome the temptations that this culture places before them, that God will help them to see through the lies that this culture is selling them and, and really uh, dedicate their lives to the Lord. And so I am with you and would encourage all of our listeners to find a devotion to the rosary. It is a power Powerful, powerful prayer. All right, we need to take one final break to remind you that you're listening to St. Joseph Radio Live, that we're coming to you from St. Charles, Missouri, and we have time probably for a couple of more calls, so if you'd like to call in, you can get into the show at 855-447-6000. Again, that number, 855-447-6000. And one final programming note. A conference called Forming Men for Christ, Mass and Coffee with Father James Mason. The next session is June 11th, titled Holy Indifference, Living in the Freedom of Divine Providence. It is every second Thursday of the month at St. Joseph's Catholic Church on Merrimack Avenue here in Clayton, Missouri. Uh, starts with 6.30 a.m. Mass, and then Coffee and Father's Talk starts at 7. Again, if you'd like information about that, you can go to kenrick.edu slash forming men for Christ at Kenrick Glennon. Kenrick.edu slash forming men for Christ at Kenrick Glennon. All right, so let's get to the final, the seventh lesson that Jesus has for us as to what are we to do uh, to prepare? What are we to do while we await uh, the coming chastisement or while we await his final return? It is in the story of the judgment of the nations. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be assembled before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. A stranger, and you welcomed me. Naked, and you clothed me. Ill, and you cared for me. In prison, and you visited me. And the king will say to those on his left, or he will say to them, Whatever you did for the least of these brothers, you did for me. So we all know the story of the judgment. The sheep on the right, the goats on the left. The sheep simply did 
simple acts of kindness for the least of their brothers. And the Lord equates that as serving him personally. Of course, for the goats on the left, they failed those simple acts of kindness and thus turned from the Lord and his need. So the first act of judgment when Christ returns is to separate the people into two groups. Unlike the previous stories where the righteous and unrighteous were mingled together, in this final judgment we are separated as we stand before God. Sheep and goats symbolize the two separated groups. Sheep are characterized by simplicity, innocence, and humility. Goats, on the other hand, are characterized as quarrelsome, strong-willed, and indifferent. What the sheep did to deserve reward was not extraordinary. It was simply sharing what they had with those less fortunate. In their questions, the sheep exhibit humility, unlike the lazy servant in the parable of the talents who blamed his laziness on his master and displayed his inner attitude of pride, selfishness, and disobedience. Jesus identifies himself with the poor of every kind and makes active love toward them the condition for entering the kingdom. Those on Christ's left, the wicked goats, are to be punished for all of eternity. You know, this is not a popular concept today. How could a loving God punish forever? We sometimes forget that this forever place of punishment was not created for mankind. Hell was created for Satan and the other fallen angels. Only by attaching themselves to the works of Satan do the wicked goats make hell their own destiny. So perhaps it has become apparent why the second coming, like death itself, will come unannounced. Otherwise, we might worry about our eternal state only in the moments immediately prior to the judgment and not be prepared to endure the tribulation that precedes the judgment. The church teaches that the final persecution will be kind of a near-death experience for Christ's mystical body here on earth, so intense that many will lose their faith. Apostasy will decimate the ranks of the faithful. Before Christ's final coming, the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. Today in the Western world where Christian churches are emptying at alarming rates, we certainly see signs of St. Paul's statement that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by giving heed to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Is the current apostasy that the Pew Report points out the final one? Who knows? But it is likely the final one in our lifetimes. Our task is to resist falling away, to work and remain faithful, to continue to spread the gospel at every opportunity and in every possible way. Jesus and the church are trustworthy, which means we will face a final judgment. And in fact, we will face our own judgment soon, a few short decades for most of us. The most important question then is not when will judgment come, but will I be a faithful Will I be in a faithful state when my judgment comes? Jesus gives us clear instructions. What we are to do is to prepare ourselves and our families physically 
and spiritually. We are to share the good news. We are to care for those less fortunate. We are to work until the moment judgment arrives to bring about the kingdom. If we do that, we have no fear. Whether the chastisement that is coming is meant to cleanse the world so that it may be rebuilt and we are going to be part of that restoration, or whether it is the glorious return of our Lord and the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth, being in the state of working for the kingdom is what ensures our victory. Nothing else, no money, no stature, no power, no position, ensures our safety. I want to thank you for calling in today and being a part of today's show. It is my hope that God will continue to rain down his blessings upon you and your family. And it is my prayer that he might grant you the wisdom and understanding to see clearly the path that he has placed before you, the courage and the faith to walk that path with confidence and conviction, and the mercy and forgiveness that we all so frequently need along the way. Be sure to join us next week at this same time for another presentation of St. Joseph Radio Live. And if you'd like a copy of today's show, you can get a CD by calling 855-447-6000. Again, that CD is free of charge. All we ask is that you pay the postage. That's 855-447-6000. You've been listening to St. Joseph Radio Live. You've been listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. Toll free, 1-855-447-6000. Again, that's 1-855-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents.